Welcome back to your yoga instructor's favorite podcast, Beethoven Walks Into a Bar, where you can simultaneously stretch your body and your mind in ways that you never knew you could. I'm Jason Sieber, the Kansas City Symphony's associate conductor. I'm Mike Gordon, principal flute of the Kansas City Symphony. And I'm Stephanie Brimhall, the Kansas City Symphony's education manager. So we're always looking to stretch our listeners' minds here at Beethoven Walks Into a Bar, And I have to tell you, for as difficult as this last year has been for orchestras with the coronavirus pandemic and not being able to give our normal array of concerts, I'm extremely proud of how orchestras have adjusted and reflected on better ways to serve their communities. And I think that's really especially true here at the Kansas City Symphony. Yeah, that's right, Stephanie. And in the fall, we took the mobile music box all over town to perform free chamber music concerts throughout the entire metro area. And we'll be bringing that back in the spring when weather gets into positive digits again. (laughs) And uh, we've moved uh, to a digital subscription series with mysymphonyseat.org, where we can continue to offer exceptional concerts every week in a safe way from Heltzberg Hall, of course. And uh, you've been putting together some awesome educational videos for the kids in Kansas City featuring our musicians. Tell us a little more about those. So Jason and I have actually been, been working a little bit on this. And it's not just for kids, right? These educational videos are for everyone um, anybody who wants to learn more about the symphony, and those can be found at kcsymphony.org. We're doing, Jason made me some videos doing some conducting demonstrations. So you can learn how to conduct in various beat patterns. So you could learn to conduct in two, in three, in four. You can learn how to conduct staccato or legato. And he also puts together a pretty fun introduction to what it really means to be a conductor and uh, mm-hmm. what, what you absolutely have to have in order to be a conductor, a baton. And a nice wardrobe. Yes, you do. You do have to have both of those. Stephanie, you're being a little modest. You've put a ton of work into these videos, I know. And it's not just me. It's many of our musicians from the symphony. And I think it's going to be really cool for kids of all ages, including adults, to check out these videos. Absolutely. And one of the things I'm most excited about and will be coming out very soon and will be available to schools around the metro area are um, some introductions to the families of the orchestras. And um, we had this wonderful partnership with the um, Johnson County Community Colleges here who provided the, the film equipment and the space for us to record these videos. And we will be um, releasing those for free to schools um, so that they can use these in their classroom to introduce kids to the orchestra, which I'm super excited about. And those will be ready um, at kcsymphony.org as well. Super cool. Well, guys, many of these adaptations and changes uh, that we've been talking about were made, of course, due to the pandemic. And they've allowed us to use technology in creative ways to continue to bring the highest quality music directly into the community in ways that we weren't always able to or maybe didn't have the time to do in the past with our really busy schedule. So all that has been really terrific. Um, But 2020 wasn't just a reflective and changing world for orchestras because of COVID-19. It was also a year where orchestras all across the country took a harder look at themselves when it comes to equality and social justice. You know, music and the arts in general have always been a powerful voice throughout history in commenting on and advancing social change. With the killings of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Richard Brooks, among many others, there has been a great deal of reflecting within the orchestral community 
of how to be a better proponent of diversity and equality, both on stage and off stage, with special attention, I think, paid to programming. For too long, in a canon of literature that is dominated by non-living white European men, mm. composers of color have often been overlooked and underprogrammed by many professional orchestras. And we still have a very long way to go, but things are definitely changing for the better. Indeed, that's true, Jason. And if you look at our programming right here uh, at the KC Symphony for our digital subscription series this winter and spring, you will find many incredible pieces written by BIPOC composers. And I'm so happy our audiences are getting the chance to hear many of these composers work, often for the first time. So... Today, we thought we would showcase some of our favorite composers of color. Um, we'll share a little bit about each of them and their careers, let you hear some of their music in the hopes that you will want to explore them in more detail after this episode. In fact, we're going to put links to each of their web pages and some recommended listening for each of these composers um, in the show notes. And you will be able to listen to their works in their entirety. But I'm really excited to uh, explore some of these composers. And here we go with our Beethoven Walks Into a Bar list of 10 composers of color you should absolutely know. Definitely. And I'm going to start. First of all, I think it's really tough, of course, to narrow this list down to just 10 artists because there's so many great composers of color out there. So I encourage everyone out there listening to just think of this as a starting point. And hopefully you'll be inspired when you start to discover some of these composers in their music, other composers that you might not know much about on your own as well. My first featured composers, uh, my, excuse me, my first featured composer is Valerie Coleman. Uh, she is a flutist, a professional flutist. She is a member of the Imani Winds, which is a woodwind quintet, a fantastic quintet. She was also just recently named Performance Today's 2020 Classical Woman of the Year. And she's on the faculty at the Frost School of Music at the University of Miami. Now, interestingly enough, the first time I heard of Valerie Coleman was when I was in Louisville, Kentucky, working with the Louisville Youth Orchestra. Valerie is from Louisville. She grew up actually in the same neighborhood as Muhammad Ali. And I remember we had a great board member who brought Valerie to my attention and said, you know, she's from Louisville. She's a youth orchestra alum. She played in the youth orchestra when she was a kid. And we should really think about uh, programming some of her music. Well, at the time, this was back in the early 2000s, she only had one piece written for orchestra, and it was ridiculously hard, way too hard, unfortunately, <laughs> for my kids to play. So it didn't work out. Um, but that was the first time that I discovered this amazing composer, Valerie Coleman. Um, her musical style uh, is really eclectic. She likes to use classical elements, of course, but she also fuses that with jazz, uh, Afro-Cuban music. A lot of times her music has social and political themes. And like I said, it's just really eclectic, always full of energy and life. Um, we're going to play a few short clips for you of some of her, her music right now. And as Stephanie mentioned, the links to the full performances of these pieces will be in the show notes, so make sure you check them all out. The first piece is uh, entitled Emoja, and she wrote this way back in 2001 for her quintet, The Imani Winds, but she recently orchestrated it in 2019 for full orchestra. Uh, I believe the Philadelphia Orchestra commissioned that, that new arrangement. The word Emoja mean, is Swahili for unity, and there's a really wonderful performance by the New York Philharmonic, a virtual performance uh, that they put together of this new arrangement of Emoja. Take a listen. 
very cool piece. Um, and like I said, the, the quintet version is super cool too. It's only like three, three and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. It's definitely worth checking out the entire piece. Another piece that she recently worked on is called Seven O'Clock Shout. I really like this one. She just wrote it in 2020. Um, the Philadelphia Orchestra commissioned her to write this one. And it was another virtual performance over the internet, a digital performance. And it was to pay tribute to all the frontline workers that have been working through the coronavirus pandemic. Um, if you guys remember, for many nights at seven o'clock, everyone, and especially in New York, would come out mm-hmm. and make a lot of noise, ring bells, et cetera, to uh, celebrate all of our frontline workers. So this is a super cool piece that she wrote to celebrate that. Check it out. Another piece that she wrote, uh, which unfortunately, I don't believe there's a recording of this one yet, but I hope that it's going to be recorded soon. It was a piece that was commissioned by Carnegie Hall and the American Composers Orchestra. It was written for her quintet to go with chamber orchestra. It's called Phenomenal Women. She wrote it in 2018 and 19. And the different movements um, are inspired by various women that that have inspired Valerie. Uh, There's a movement that pays tribute to Michelle Obama, another one for Serena Williams, uh, one for Maya Angelou, which is really cool because it's actually based on one of her poems, and Katherine Johnson as well, the great uh, NASA scientist. So hopefully there'll be a recording of that piece soon that we can check out. Also, we have a trio from the Kansas City Symphony that played her piece, Rubispheres, and I know that's going to be on our February 21st concert. Uh, if you have our digital subscription series, mysymphonyseat.org, you'll be able to check that out. And also, uh, a woodwind quintet is playing her piece, Emoja, which we already listened to on that performance as well. So definitely check that out. Hey, Mike, your quintet uh, that was doing the, the mobile music box performances, you guys played a piece by Valerie Coleman as well, right? Sh- uh, Shagan? Yeah. Yeah, we did. We played Sigan, uh, a really, really fantastic uh, virtuosic piece for uh, Woodwind Quintet. She wrote, not surprisingly, a wonderful uh, flute solo in it and a really uh, impressive uh, clarinet cadenza oh that gosh. is largely improvised. Yes, yeah, Silvio was just a rock star with that every time. So I hope, hopefully we'll play it again in the spring and we're going to have to we're gonna have to learn some new music of hers too. Absolutely, and you know what I love about uh, Sagan is that it, you know, Silvio plays E flat clarinet and second clarinet in the orchestra. Um, I mean, most of the time, and obviously anybody who makes it into the orchestra is an incredible player. But what I have loved about these performances that we were doing with the chamber music and the mobile music box is that you got to hear individual musicians playing, you know, that might not normally get the spotlight. And oh my gosh, Silvio's playing is incredible incredible he's a i i could not get over how amazing his playing was but then how cool the piece was as well just really awesome so the second composer on our list today uh is a woman that i actually have a lot in common with i'm going to say that i have a lot in common with gabriella lena frank so we have the same uh educational institution background we Mm. both attended rice university and we both attended the university of michigan go blue She's a a really unique and wonderful composer for a lot of reasons. She's received numerous awards, 
including the Medal of Excellence from the Sphinx organization, which is dedicated to promoting diversity in the arts and does an incredible job and continues to do incredible work for um, performers and artists of color, which I think is is really a really important work that they do. So Gabriella, she founded the Gabriella Lena Frank Creative Academy of Music, and she did that to inspire emerging composers through mentorships, and they get readings with master performers and ensembles, and they get one of the missions of this organization, which I think is is very cool, is they make connections with rural communities who might not have regular access to uh, the arts like we might in larger cities. Um, so a, a really neat thing. And one one of the newer aspects to this academy of hers is now there is a focus on um, environmental and climate awareness. So there's um, there's this this other um, I think there's a scientist in residence now at the academy, which I think is just you know lots of really neat things going on there and and uh, kind of forwarding her mission to give composers and artists a chance to explore their their world and their talents. So she uses music to kind of ex- explore her multicultural heritage. Jason and I recently um, have done several um, meetings with Girl Scouts here in Kansas City where we are teaching young girls about classical music. And we use Gabriella Lena Frank in our presentation every single time because she really, I think, brings a lot to that Um and she highlights a lot of this diversity that's found in her family through um, a lot of her music. And one of those pieces is her three Latin American dances. And there's a movement in these dances called the Mestizo Waltz. And in Latin American cultures, a Mestizo, it, it translates to mixed race. Um, it can actually be viewed as a kind of a derogatory terms. You know, some people might say, don't, you know, don't call me that. But what Gabriella Lena Frank says is, you know, I embrace that about myself. I am mixed. I, uh, there, there are so many different cultures in my, in my family, um, and I embrace that. I am a mestiza. And so uh, I want you guys to check out a little bit of this mestizo waltz from Three Latin American Dances. Super cool piece, and as Stephanie mentioned, it's just one of three movements. Um, the first dance, that's actually the last movement, the first dance always reminds me of West Side Story. It mm-hmm. has a lot of those rhythmic elements and and Latin elements, of course, with percussion and everything else. I highly recommend you check out the entire piece, not just the waltz, which is, I think, the best movement, actually, too. Another super cool piece of Gabriella Lina Frank's uh, that I discovered recently is called Leandas. It's a piece written for string orchestra. And as you know, most of the music we're playing right now uh, at the symphony is just strings. And this is a brilliant piece, absolutely brilliant multi-movement work that incorporates a lot of improvisation, of non-measured music, uh, where a lot is left up to the performers. Um, It has a lot of cool idiomatic string sounds that I've never heard before in my entire life. Uh, I absolutely loved it. I wish, uh, I'm going to be conducting a classical program coming up in April. I really wish it wasn't so hard (laughs) because we have (laughs) such limited rehearsal and it is an extremely challenging piece too. Otherwise, I'd program it in a second, but Definitely worth listening to as well. Here's a brief excerpt from Landis. (laughs) 
Wow. Well, uh, I'm going to change gears here maybe slightly, and um, I want to first make an admission and also a disclaimer, which is that I I was searching for some composers that I wanted to feature on this show, and I came across an album called Spark Catchers, uh, performed by uh, this incredible orchestra of mainly black composers from the, uh, excuse me, mainly black musicians uh, from the UK called Chinike. And they recorded this album of uh, music by black composers. And I honestly, I just, I love every piece on this album. So I, I'm going to feature today three composers uh, who are on that album. There are more, and you should definitely check it out. But I'm going to I'm going to talk about three of them. Um, and the first is this uh, wonderful young British composer uh, called Daniel Cadane, and uh, he has a really interesting background. He grew up in the UK, but his mother is Russian, and his father is Eritrean, which is a, a very small country in East Africa, bordering Ethiopia. And he studied both in the UK and also in in St. Petersburg. So he's got a real Eastern European influence, I think, in his music, uh, among other things. And um, he's a violinist. He uh, he studied from a, a young age. And um, first, I want to talk about this piece uh, from the album called Dream Song. So have a quick listen to Dream Song. So as you can hopefully hear, uh, this piece is a setting, actually, for baritone and orchestra of MLK's I Have a Dream speech. Mm. And I just find it totally uh, haunting and poignant in the most incredible way. I mean, if you think of, we've all we've all watched the speech, right? We've watched the, the film of it. And MLK had, of course, you know, a a signature, you know, delivery every time he spoke and, and no more so than in that particular speech. And to hear it transformed into this piece of music, I just think is, it brings a whole new um, level of, of meaning and thought to the words that I, I don't know. I just found it unbelievably compelling. So, very different from that piece, actually. Uh, he also has this piece called uh, Turbion for recorder and harpsichord. So tourbillon in French uh, literally means whirlwind, and uh, fans of fine timepieces may also know this as a piece of a very fancy watch. Uh, but in this case, I I think he just means whirlwind. I don't think he's referring necessarily to a watch, but perhaps. Um, and it's performed by this legendary uh, recorder player, Michaela Petri. And, you know, for myself, I've known Michaela Petri, you know, a, as a musician since I was little. I can remember listening to her recordings, but they're all of, you know, Baroque music. And so to hear, you know, these instruments, the, the recorder and the harpsichord, which are almost exclusively Baroque instruments, you know, playing 
you know, very, uh, very new contemporary music. It's, it's an astonishing sound. And I think it's incredibly creative and the way he used the instruments was just amazing. So I, I really enjoyed that piece as well. Totally agree, Mike. And when I listened to it, I was blown away by how well those two instruments mesh the sounds together, especially the upper range of the harpsichord and the recorder together. It's a super cool uh, combination of timbres. Um, our next composer is Michael Abels. And Michael is especially known as a film composer. And you're about to uh, find out some of his most famous films in a moment. But before I talk about his films, he's also had a lot of his orchestral works performed by the Chicago Symphony, the Cleveland Orchestra, the Atlanta Symphony, Philadelphia Orchestra, and soon the Kansas City Symphony. We're about to play one of his pieces um, this coming week, as a matter of fact. I'll talk about that in a moment as well. So he's also the co-founder of the Composers Diversity Collective, which is an organization whose mission is to increase visibility of composers of color in the mediums, uh, the medium of film, um, video game music, and any kind of streaming media. So he's a big proponent of composers of color in those areas. Hmm. Uh, his musical style can best be described as combining classical elements. I, I watched an interview with him where he talked about how, as a baby, he used to listen to In the Hall of the Mountain King. His parents would play it for him, and he was obsessed by the repetitive nature of it, almost in a horrifying way as he describes <laughs> it, which is kind of cool. And for several of his films, he's kind of incorporated a little bit of that style, along with gospel horror, as he describes it, <laughs> hip-hop, and various other types of music. His two most well-known film scores are um, for the, one of my favorite new directors of the last five years, Jordan Peele. Uh, I'm sure many of you have seen the movies Get Out from 2017 and the movie Us from 2019, both great Jordan Peele films. Peele films, that's hard to say. If you have not seen those movies, you absolutely must see them. I, ca I, I can't really describe them to you other than the fact that they are like the most scary horror movie you can ever imagine, but also has some comedy in it, some really dark comedy and they're just completely different than anything I've ever seen. And so are Michael Abel's scores for those two films. Let's listen to a little bit of the main title uh, from Get Out. So obviously he's using uh, the gospel horror sound that I, <laughs> I mentioned. It definitely has a, a combination of, yeah, it's gospel music, but it's also quite horrifying. <laughs> um, now, interestingly enough, after that film came out, Steven Spielberg actually called Jordan Peele and was so blown away, not only by the film, but by the music. And he said, you need to have Michael Abels write the score for every single one of your films from here on out, pretty much. You know, we all know that Spielberg has an amazing collaboration with John Williams. And he told Jordan Peele, he's like, when I found Williams, he was my guy from here on out. So make sure you use Michael for every one of your films. And sure enough, Jordan Peele, who already was planning on doing that, that, that sealed the deal for him. And he wrote the score for his next film, which is called Us. And this is, without a doubt, one of the scariest films I've ever seen in my life. Listen to the anthem now from Us. Three, four, seven, eight, 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 three, four, seven, eight
okay, and now I'm having vivid flashbacks to just how scary that movie <laughs> was. Man, and as a matter of fact, it also sounds like a, a little bit like my solfege class back in the day, <laughs> and when you ha- would have to sing an individual solfege test by yourself in front of everyone, it a- actually sounds like solfege syllables, and it's quite scary. It's bringing back those memories for me, too. See, I'm in a bit of a quandary right now because that makes me want to watch the movie because I it, it sounds awesome, but I don't do scary movies. And it's not like I could watch it on mute because I need to hear the music. So yes, you do. I don't know how to do it. I will say I don't usually like horror films either, but I loved these two movies. They right. are really thrilling and dramatic. And yeah, you'll be scared, but you also will, will really enjoy them, I think. Give them a chance, Stephanie. Okay. Well, another uh, piece that Mike Labels wrote that we are playing here at the Kansas City Symphony this upcoming week, it's going to be live streamed on February 28th. It's a wonderful piece called Delights and Dances, and it was written for String Quartet and String Orchestra. And it definitely incorporates some of those musical styles that I mentioned. It has a little bit of uh, blues in it. Um, It definitely has the classical elements that you would expect but definitely some really cool writing. Um, Let's listen to this little clip from the piece Delights and Dances. So as I mentioned, definitely you're going to want to check out the full piece on our live stream on February 28th. Two other pieces that I came across, which we're not going to listen to now, but that if you really like Michael's music, I encourage you to also check out our Global Warming and Urban Legends, two also really wonderful pieces by Mr. Abels. Well, the next composer I wanted to share is also known as a film composer, but he's also known as a an incredible jazz trumpeter. Um, Terrence Blanchard he grew up in New Orleans, started playing piano when he was five. He started playing the trumpet when he was eight, and he was childhood friends and went to music camps and played in groups growing up with Wynton Marsalis. So, hmm. you know, I mean, that can't be a bad a bad time growing up when, when your trumpet playing buddy is Wynton. And they actually... Um, Winton recommended him uh, to sub in for a lot of his groups as well when they were both professionals uh, playing in, in the jazz scene. So he's a jazz trumpeter and he has several albums out. In a little bit, I'll, I'll let you know what you should check out with, with some of that. But he's also a notable composer for television and film. He most recently was nominated for an Oscar for Best Original Score for his uh, score to Black Klansman, which is a Spike Lee film. And he has written the score for most of Spike Lee's films since 1991, including scores for Malcolm X, Clockers, Summer of Sam, 25th Hour, Inside Man, Black Klansman, and Spike Lee's uh, documentary for Hurricane Katrina, When the Levees Broke, um, which was a big deal um, on HBO. So let's listen uh, to two different examples of his compositions. The first uh, is the main title from Black Klansmen. Let's listen to that. And then now let's check out something totally different. 
Um, this is from a Tiny Desk concert he did with uh, the E Collective Ensemble, um, his jazz group. And this is called Soldiers from that performance. So as you can hear, there's a, a wide variety in style and influence and um, just a tremendous amount of depth in uh, the, his compositions. I'd also definitely recommend you check out the soundtrack to the movie Harriet, uh, which recently came out. Uh, the The entire thing is great. We'll put a link to the the opening titles for that in the show notes as well. You know, another cool thing about Terrence Blanchard, you mentioned his versatility as a composer. He actually uh, recently wrote an opera as well. Mm-hmm. It was um, premiered by the Opera Theater St. Louis in 2019. It's called Fire Shut Up in My Bones. And the Metropolitan Opera in New York is going to give the... Um, a performance of it this fall in the 21-22 season, and it'll mark the first time the Met has done an opera by a black composer, oh, which wow. is super cool. So I'm, I'm glad that Mr. Blanchard is hearing, we're, we're hearing his work all over in opera, on stage, in, in the jazz world, and of course, in film music, as you mentioned, Stephanie. Well, I think, you know, just like Michael Abel's, I mean, you know, when, when a composer can get set up or have this relationship with a director that you know they just they they connect and they have similar views and similar um, you know ideas and and visions for what they see in their product and in their art. Um, you know, I th- I think it's really cool where you see those kinds of relationships between whether it's between a director and a composer or a director and a specific actor. I think that exists a lot in. Um, the film industry, especially, and really, you know, you hear, you you can recognize those relationships when you turn on a film and you hear, oh yeah, this is Terrence Blanchard's music or this is Michael Abel's music. You know, you 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 expect that from mm-hmm. those directors. Well said. Yeah. Well, next I want to feature a wonderful composer called Erilyn Wallen, and she is truly a Renaissance woman. Uh, she studied dance. Uh, she's known as much as a singer a songwriter of pop songs as well as a classical composer a really really fascinating woman she was born in belize and then uh studied at the dance theater of harlem in new york and then she went on to study composition at the university of london and university of cambridge uh so just you know uh, such an incredible range of uh, skills and art forms that she that she's studied and creates in. Um, she's written quite a bit of vocal music, including an opera called uh, The Silent Twins, which is a story about a love-hate relationship between twin black girls. Uh, she's also written a ballet, and I, I mean, it's so fascinating to think about someone who's actually a dancer writing a ballet. Uh, I mean, hmm. what if what if more ballet composers were actually dancers as well? It would be it'd be incredible. I would love to mm. see it. Um, but uh, two two pieces that I want to share with you here. Um, the first is this wonderful uh, percussion cher- uh, concerto that she wrote uh, for Colin Curry, and Colin Curry is one of a small but mighty 
band of uh, touring percussion soloists. <laughs> and if you've never seen a percussion concerto, you just have to you know, find a video on or better yet, go and see one live uh, when we can do that again, because it is it is as much uh, uh, something for the ears to behold as it is a visual spectacle. I mean, usually there is an absolute jungle gym <laughs> of percussion equipment at the front of the stage, you know, piled on top of the violins and the cellos or, you know, whichever <laughs> instruments are on the edge of the stage for a, a given orchestra, but it's just amazing. So let's have a quick listen uh, to this incredible percussion concerto. And then I also wanted to... Uh, draw your attention to this uh, piece of hers that's on that spark catchers album uh it's it's her uh, concerto grosso and it's for solo piano violin uh and bass in addition to string orchestra and i thought what was really interesting you know similarly to what uh Cadain did with tourbillon taking what are typically baroque instruments and writing new music for them mm -hmm. uh she took this you know very Baroque uh, form, the Concerto Grosso, and put you know put her own very new, very uh, contemporary spin on it, and I just think it's a terrific piece. Uh, and the you know the parts for the soloist are amazing. And like any Concerto Grosso, you know it's not soloist with a backup band. It's you know it's a it's a concerto for everyone, um, and it, I think it's just a terrific, terrific piece. So let's have a little listen. What I love about that piece, Mike, uh, especially the first and last movement, is this relentless rhythmic drive that she has in the music. It kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, Stravinsky's music when uh, when he was first writing his ballets, like the Rite of Spring. I mean, there's this unbelievable energy in in her music. I love it. Well, our next composer is uh, one that we have been performing quite a bit this season, actually, um, Jessie Montgomery. She's originally from New York. Uh, she's a violinist who plays with the Catalyst Quartet. She's also a composer in residence for the Sphinx Virtuosi. Um, Stephanie mentioned the Sphinx organization earlier. Uh, the Sphinx Virtuosi is uh, a small ensemble formed at that wonderful organization. She's also the recipient of the Leonard Bernstein Award from the ASCAP Foundation. She likes to mix, like many of these other composers, traditional classical styles with elements of vernacular music, improv, um, language, and social justice. I got that, that exact line actually from her website. That's mm -hmm. how she describes her music. It always has lots of energy. There's always lots of vivid colors in her music. And the first piece that I want us to check out here is a piece called Strum, which she wrote in 2006. And it literally sounds uh, like the string instruments used in it are strumming like a guitar. Check, check out this little performance, little snip of this performance by the Minnesota Orchestra. Thank you. 
one of our chamber ensembles in the Mobile Music Box series in the fall actually played the chamber version of that piece, mm-hmm. Strum. It was so great. I loved I loved being assigned to those concerts uh, when that group was playing. I loved that piece, and it was I had never heard of it before they performed it. Yeah, both the chamber version and the orchestral version are are really cool. Uh, another piece that we actually recently performed at the Kansas City Symphony, and if you go to mysymphonyseat.org, it was part of our Martin Luther King Jr. Celebration Concert. Um, it's a piece that Jesse wrote called Banner. It was written for the 200th anniversary of the Star Spangled Banner, and it is a wonderful piece from 2014, which t- is sort of a social commentary on the Star Spangled Banner and how it means something different to everyone living in the United States. She actually, near the end of the piece, combines the anthems of several other countries as well, uh, of many immigrants that live in the United States, And uh, check out this little clip from Banner. And finally, one more piece of Jesse's that I want to feature. Uh, A lot of orchestras have been playing this piece recently. It's called Starburst. It was written in 2012. It's such a great piece that I have decided I'm going to put it on the classical program that I'm conducting with the symphony in April. So you'll get a chance to hear it with the Kansas City Symphony in April. This is a little bit of Starburst. So the next composer that I wanted to introduce you to was new to me when she was introduced to me. And I think if, if uh, tell me if I'm wrong, guys, but was new to you guys as well when Caroline Shaw, who we had um, on this podcast uh, two seasons ago now, introduced us to when we asked her for recommended listening, she she told us we needed to check out Shelley Washington, who I think was a student of Caroline's um, at some point. But had you guys heard of Shelley before before this? I hadn't, no. Caroline no. was the first person to, to let, it, let me know as well, yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, when I was putting together the show notes for that um, podcast, you know, I was listening to everything that we were putting up, and I was really taken by Shelley's style. Um, you know, again, just like Gabriella Lena Frank, you know, I feel like we're a, a little bit of a kindred spirit here because uh, she is a Kansas City girl. Shelley Washington is a Kansas City girl. She's from right here. Um, she attended Truman State um, and got her, um, I think, got her bachelor's and her master's degree in education. And she is pursuing a doctorate now at Princeton. But I, like many other composers that we've heard about today, social justice also plays a huge role in the music that Shelley writes. And, and we'll hear some of that in a bit. Um, but one thing that she wrote about how she composes and why she composes the music that she does is she wants to move people. And I've heard other composers talk about this, um, and I certainly talk about this when we do education performances and we talk to kids about, you know, music can move you in your emotions, it can move you in the way that you feel, it can move your body and, you know, you might want to move to the, you, you might move physically. But, and that's Shelley's goal is just to move you, whether it's in your mind, in your thoughts, in your toes, you know, however, she wants it to move you. And I, and I, I think that's really cool. 
But again, you know, she approaches this this idea of exploring social injustices through music and bringing those things to the forefront in a way, you know, where it might be uncomfortable to, you know, talk about, but maybe music makes it easier to to bring out and and discuss and bring to the forefront. One of uh, one of the pieces I wanted you guys to listen to today um, is called "The Farthest." And it was premiered by the Brooklyn Youth Chorus, um, and it's it's just a really neat um, exploration for children's voices in kind of what they aspire to be. Let's take a listen. So just like we've talked about with a lot of these composers, you know, Shelley is a very diverse composer. She's written for solo instruments. She's written for uh, voice. She's written for chamber ensembles. So we we just heard music for voice and strings. Um, this next piece I wanted you guys to check out is called Say for String Quartet, um, but it includes a lot of uh, other cool elements. So in addition to playing their instruments, the quartet is also asked to speak kind of sing, speak, and also play body percussion during the piece. So let's check that out. Say it high, say it low, sing it fast, sing it slow. Who are you? Who am I? We don't get to decide. Say it high, say it low, sing it fast, sing it low. Who are you? Who am I? We don't get to decide. We don't get to mind. We don't get to decide. Say it high, say it low. Such a highly imaginative and creative piece with the use of the body percussion and, and quite complicated to coordinate, I would guess. Um, when, when I knew we were featuring Shelley's music on the episode today, I went to her website and found that she actually writes poetry for mm-hmm. a lot of her pieces to accompany the music in the program notes. And I highly encourage everyone to not only check out uh, the full performance of the piece, Say, but to read the poetry that she wrote of how difficult it is to be uh, a black person in America. And she describes some of the racist experiences she's had throughout her life, um, starting when she was a child all the way up through an adult. And mm-hmm. I think that's reflected in this piece as well. Absolutely. Um, and I won't play these for you now, but I would like for everybody to check out kind of along those lines. Um, Shelly is a, a saxophonist. She doubles on a lot of other woodwind instruments, but primarily a saxophonist. And And one thing that I think is interesting and unique and probably not most people can't say is that she specializes on the baritone saxophone (laughs) which is a maybe underutilized instrument Uh, she plays a lot of barry sax in her composition she's written a lot for barry sax Uh, and she um, in this piece she wrote called big talk um, she wrote a duo for two barry saxes um, it's a really powerful piece, uh, includes some of her poetry, which you should definitely check out. Um, but it's a response to, um, you know, along what Jason was saying, to the prevalence of the rape culture that exists today in, um, especially for young women and, you know, comments that you have to endure, um, catcalls, you know, just generally feeling unsafe. And um, that's really brought out in this piece. It's really powerful. Um I'm going to put a link to a YouTube clip in the show notes that shows a live performance of it, which I think is definitely worth worth checking out. I'd also recommend you check out her string quartet, uh, Middle Ground, 
as well, um, just for some more exploration of her her awesome music. Now that makes sense that you say that she's a Barry Sax player, because I remember when I listened to The Farthest, the first piece you uh, played for us today, as soon as the Barry Sax kicks in, uh-huh. like the groove starts. So now it makes yep. sense. No wonder she wrote it for the Barry Sax. And you know what? When I was when I was looking through her, her catalog today um, in this big talk, um, you know, composers put all kinds of notes, you know, you, you want things to be played a certain way or, you know, some things might be a little more flexible or fluid. But in the notes for Big Talk, it, she wrote, please do not change the instrumentation. This is for two berry saxes. Don't don't transpose it for other, you know, a tenor sax, an alto sax, a, any other instrument. This is for berry sax and berry sax only. I like it. Well, the saxophone is... Uh it's a mighty instrument, I'll tell you. <laughs> I, I actually have a student, a flute student, who lives with a saxophonist, and uh, you know they'll often have to practice in the house at the same time. And I'll I'll hear quite a bit of his roommate uh, from the other room when I'm. It when carries, I'm, <laughs> it, you know. It projects beautifully. <laughs> well, doesn't our fantastic music librarian Elena Lenz Talley? She lives with the saxophonist as well. She does as well. <laughs> She, that is that is true. Actually, I always I always feel like saxophone gets short shrift in the classical world, right? Sure. I mean, like there you know there are a few uh, standard repertoire pieces that we play that have saxophone, uh, and you know there are a couple of classical saxophonists out there who make a living playing you know absolutely these four pieces with every orchestra. But I, it's great to see uh, somebody writing. New music for saxophone. Maybe that should be our next podcast episode. Is like the top ten standard pieces for orchestra with saxophone. Quick, name one right now. I'm I think kidding. I'm going to be sick next week. I don't, I'm <laughs> kidding. I'm joking. Pictures at an exhibition. Romeo there you and go. Juliet. Prokofiev Romeo and Juliet. Pro- Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, this show is not <laughs> but about we the digress. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna get back on track here. It's all my fault. Um, so I, the last composer I want to talk about from this uh, incredible album, Spark Catchers, is uh, a young woman named Hannah Kendall, and uh, she's another uh, wonderful black composer born in the UK, uh, but actually currently studying here in the United States uh, and working in New York, and um, uh, like other composers on the album i mean she has a really uh, eclectic style and she's written for orchestra chamber orchestra uh voice but what's what's really interesting about her music as well is she takes a lot of influence from poetry from visual art uh, and she often works to integrate uh, those other art forms into her music in different ways um and at least according to her website, she's apparently working on a, a, a new opera right now as well. So, uh, you know, one of the things that, that I was thinking about here as we were talking, you know, we we sometimes plan uh, really interesting common threads across episodes and seasons here at Beethoven Walks Into a Bar, and sometimes we don't, and we happen upon them uh, through serendipity. And uh, as I was thinking about a couple of the composers uh on this album, Hannah and and Daniel Cadane in particular, I was thinking back to our conversation with Herman Mahari. Mm-hmm. Uh, so go back and listen to our conversation with uh, Mr. Mahari when you get a chance. But Jason, correct me if I'm wrong here. I'm remembering now that I think 
Herman Mahari uh, is of Eritrean heritage as well. Is that mm-hmm. right? He is. As a matter of fact, on his new album, he has a, a, a tune called Eritrea, Eritrea. Where, mm-hmm. he, where he talks about where his uncle, where he interviewed his uncle, um, and he overlaid him uh, imitating the pitch and the timbre of his uncle's voice as he tells the story of of his father, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and he matches it on the trumpet. It's super cool. Yeah, yeah. It, it's incredible. So now my colleagues are all looking at me here, you know, with anticipation. Where is Mike going? This I'm very is, yeah, where are you going with this, this Mike? This totally is totally off script. So, uh, <laughs> so the the reason the reason I made this uh, really interesting connection just now is because I was going to. I am going to talk about uh, a wonderful piece uh, by Hannah Kendall for uh, a small chamber group, thirteen players, called Verdala. And in the the title of the piece refers to a ship that uh, transported West Indian soldiers from the Caribbean to Europe during World War One, um, and the piece has no voice in it, but in a little bit the same way that that Herman uh, took inspiration uh, from his interview with his uncle and made that into his music, so she was very inspired uh, by poetry and you know, kind of baked it into the fabric of this music. So the particular poem uh, is by a Guinese poet and activist uh, named Martin Carter, and the poem is called O Human Guide. So let's have a quick listen to Verdala. Yeah, I really want to go back now and listen listen to Verdala and then go listen to to that tune from Har- Herman's album as well. And mm-hmm. it's just somehow mm-hmm. to me that incorporation of of, you know, words in music that does not have words or voice is is fascinating and they both did it in really interesting ways, I think. I love that you brought up Herman too because I've thought a lot about Herman's episode in just while we've been talking but, you know, in preparing to talk about this today too. See, Beethoven Walks Into a Bar is really a, a holistic experience. It's not just individual <laughs> episodes. It's it's a lifestyle. So binge listen all, what are we on, season seven now? I don't even remember. Um, <laughs> just three, Mike, just three. Oh, just three. Okay. But just three. You can get through it in a weekend. Um, so the, the last piece I want to uh, highlight uh, from Hannah Kendall uh, is, of course, the the title work from this album spark catchers and it is just such a colorful piece of music uh have a quick listen and then go go enjoy the entire album there are other composers uh on that album who deserve mention and we just don't have time for today but it's just a fantastic uh piece of art that that disc so check it out Well, guys, our final composer that we want to talk about today um, is a very important composer on this list. Mm -hmm. Florence Price was a pioneer for African-American composers, especially African-American women. Or uh, women in general, too, I think you could say, you know. Yeah, not just women composers, but women in general. She lived from 1887 to 1953, and she was the first black woman to have one of her pieces performed 
by a major American symphony orchestra. The Chicago Symphony, conducted by Frederick Stock, premiered her first symphony, which is the Symphony in E Minor, on June 15th, 1933. Let's listen to a little bit of the first movement from this wonderful symphony now. Yeah, so her, you know, her style uh, incorporates um, so many elements of uh, American Southern influence: spirituals, the blues, urban modernism, and uh, I think you'll hear all of that in what is uh, now one of her most famous pieces, "The Suite of Dances" from 1951. <laughs> So, in addition to um, introducing our, our Girl Scouts groups to, we've introduced them to Gabriella Lena Frank as a composer. We also introduced them to Caroline Shaw, um, who's an important um, female composer. Um, we also introduced uh, the girls to the music of Florence Price, and you know, obviously, there's a giant catalog um, to to choose from, and what. Jason and I chose to introduce to the girls from Florence Price was a work for solo piano of which she has many um, called sketches in sepia. And what I loved listening um, to the girls comments after we play the music for them, you know, they have, everybody has different comments and um, different ideas about what they think of the music or how the music makes them feel it seems almost always unanimous when we play Florence Price's. This particular piano piece for the girls is, uh, everybody loves it. It's, you know, it's always very soothing and calming and moving. And, um, it, you know, they want to go to bed listening to the music of Florence Price. <laughs> so I will put a link to this uh, Sketches in Sepia here in the show notes, and you guys can check that out too. And who knows, maybe you'll agree with the girls and, uh, you too will add this to your sleepy time playlist. Well, guys, like we said at the very beginning of our list today of these 10 composers, there's so many other incredible artists, other composers to check out. Um, some of the other composers of color who will have works performed by the Kansas City Symphony this winter and spring on our mysymphonyseat.org digital concert series, uh, whom we haven't already mentioned today, include George Walker, Carlos Simon, William Grant Still, uh, and Ulysses K. So we encourage you to explore on your own on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, anywhere where you stream music and check out many other composers as well, not just the ones we mentioned today. Two other great resources out there that I want to point out. Um, the wonderful conductor Anna Edwards has spent a lot of the past year creating composer databases of lesser known composers. And on her website, which we'll put a link to in the show notes, it's AnnaEdwardsConductor.com. Um, she lists 100 composers, 100 days of listening that you can do. And many of the composers that we talked about today are on that list, as well as many other terrific ones. So check that out. And also the great violinist Rachel Barton Pine, as part of her foundation, has put together a list of black composers 
that she loves and, and, and various artists that she wants to feature as well. So check out her website. It's rbffoundation.org. Once again, we'll put that link in the show notes as well. And you can learn about many other outstanding composers of color. I can't wait to check out uh, the music by all of these composers even more. Um, lots of great stuff to to listen to and learn about and uh, catch up on. So thanks for your recommendations, guys. Thank you. Well, have no fear, you guys, because the time of special guests is returning next week. On next week's episode, we meet yet another fabulous Kansas City Symphony colleague of ours, our associate principal cellist, Susie Yang. We chat with Susie about her work both on and off the stage, her time in the New World Symphony with Mike, and the dreaded audition scene, of course, once again. We'll also lighten things up with another exciting game of bar talk that's next week on Beethoven Walks Into a Bar. <laughs> <laughs>